This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. They are tired of being called heroes. Nurses want a more concrete appreciation of the incredibly tough conditions they've been working under since the pandemic began. And their job is tough enough at the best of times. That's why this weekend they protested Bill 124, which caps their pay hikes and that of other public sector workers at 1%. So what do you think? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to Dr. Doris Greenspoon, CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, and Nancy Halupa, an emergency registered nurse in the GTA and founder of Nurse with Sign 416. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Pleasure to be with you again, Libby. Okay, great. Uh, let's begin with Nancy. Uh, what is Nurse with Sign 416 and why did you do it? So um, it was kind of my last-ditch effort to try to change the way things are going in the healthcare system. It uh, basically is a bunch of nurses public sector workers that are holding up signs every day or whenever they like to tell people of the public what is actually going on in the healthcare system, Um, specifically nursing. We're critically short-staffed. It's dangerous, and I really didn't think that the public fully understood how dangerous healthcare has become. So it was kind of my way of informing the public. Okay. Doris, Do you think uh, that it's fair to lump nurses in with other public sector workers? Uh, Most of them, uh, you know, were not on the front lines. They were comfortably working from home, collecting their full salaries. Not that there's anything wrong with that if they were working, but it was a a completely different uh, kettle of fish, to use a bad cliche. I mean, you know, while nurses were on the front lines, doing a dangerous job under really tough circumstances for a very long period of time that continues now? Well, that's a fantastic question that you are posing and one that our premier should respond to, Libby, because as you know, police, firefighters and doctors are not included into that bill. So why would the premier uh, target a female a uh, majority female uh, workforce that is essential. We are essential services, as you know, and we are deemed as essential services to this province. Uh, why would he do that? Well, I keep asking him the same. Uh, what does so he say? What does he say? Sorry? Sorry, what does he say? You ask him. I know well, you are... Well, the Premier, I just again uh, sent a message to the Premier. Uh, the, the tragedy here, Livy, is that the lack of action on the premier on the issue of mandatory vaccination, as you and I spoke before, is damaging patients. On this case, in the issue of Bill uh, 124, is driving nurses away from Ontario by by the by by the hundreds, if not thousands. I just finished a meeting with a group of 20 nurses, um, and this week we are meeting all week, my president and I, with different groups. Uh, They are all saying the same. If this doesn't change, they're out of here. Not necessarily out of the profession, out of Ontario. And then already we have a crisis, Libby. They are calling nurses, RNs. The issue here is mainly RNs, but it's all nurses, really. And all, they, they, they are calling them in the middle of the day, come for two hours, come for four hours, in, op, in emergency rooms, in ICUs, come for whatever time you can. And meanwhile, the Premier is sitting on this bill that um, it, it's just, it's just, Horrendous, horrendous. Nancy, you and uh, the people you're in touch with, um, mm-hmm. how far, I mean, I'm sure that as, as Doris is outlining, the problem is bigger than money, but how much would some extra money go to uh, keeping you around? You know, I'm, I'm kind of in it for the long haul. This was 
my passion from when I was six years old. So, you know, I've given myself a timeline of June. If, you know, the election doesn't go the way I want it to and if this bill isn't repealed, I have to leave this profession because I can't do it the way that I want to. But the problem is now we need to have the kind of salary that will bring the nurses back that have gone. You know, he keeps talking about putting all this money into getting new nurses and hiring new nurses. But who's going to train them? There is, you know, you, you graduate from university after four years with minimal skills and knowledge. It's your mentoring from the senior staff and the, the nurses that have been there for years that make you a nurse. And if there's none of us left, who's going to train these new people? Uh, so Dor- Doris, the attrition rate is... I cannot do that. Uh, the Bill 124 is both an issue of compensation, and as I said yesterday in the rally, it has become a symbol, a symbol, an allergy. You talk with me today about Bill 124, and I'm not in the front lines. I have allergy to it. My colleagues, you speak with any nurse, young, uh, middle career, or towards the season end of the career, it has become a symbol of we are not respected, we are not valued. And it's insulting. It is. It, and it is. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take a call from Jean in Palmerston, Ontario. Hello, Jean. Hi, Levy. How are you? Fine. How are you? So, I am good, thank you. You so are... Dor- uh, go ahead. Doris knows me well. I was part of a nursing group called the Nursing Shortage and You group that we started 15 years ago or more. And we told the government what was going to happen. We had a meeting where we had 150 people. It was an all-candidates meeting. We had 75 nurses. We had them go to the front of the room. We gave them all a candle. We asked the retired people to leave. We asked the people with five years of retirement to leave. We asked the 10 years of retirement, and there were two nurses left at the front of the room. Uh, And I said to the government representatives, I said, gentlemen, there's your health care system. So I am currently 64 years old. I'll be 65 in a month. Okay. Happy birthday. Survivor. I have a leg that I broke in two places after the chemo. Um, and I'm currently working six 12-hour shifts a week at a minimum. Wow. That's, a, that's much. Like, tomorrow I'm going in for four hours because they need to cover a spot. Saturday I was left. I was the only person working. I was in the dialysis unit. I had one person who was on modified work, so isn't counted. And they left me until that morning to find out if I was going to have somebody for the afternoon. So you can't run dialysis. That's with what one I nurse. was telling you, Libby. You heard my colleague, and yes, I know her. Uh, the reality is, when you start to call people for two hours here, four hours there, you know what I think, Libby. It's not only about the nurses. Just think about that patient and yeah. the yeah. fragmented care that they are receiving. Yeah. If Premier Ford does not move, and let me be clear, many ministers are fed up with that bill too, and I know it. So it's the same as the other issue we spoke. If Premier Ford continues to be stubborn, that's all that it is here, and not enable fair negotiations for the nurses, then he's basically, why, why didn't he do the same for police, for firefighters, and for doctors? Good, I good, am glad he didn't, but good. he should not have done it either for nurses. Good good question. Jean, uh, are you hanging in or are you thinking of, of you know, uh, well, it's I'm, enough? I'm going to be 65 in a month. Okay, so? Um, so far, they're hoping that I'll retire and come back casual because they could probably fill my full-time job because we're in a, in a rural area. That's the problem. The main unit is at Grand River, and they have trouble getting people to come out to the satellites. But nurses are... When the pandemic, I also work in the merge department casually, and they were going to take away a night shift person and a 10-hour, um, a 12-hour float person until the doctors protested. And the nurses there just said, if they're going to do that, I'm out of here. It's not safe. It's a 17-bed unit that leaves two people because the triage nurse never gets out of triage anymore. So it's, it's a multifactorial system. The doctors aren't seeing people in their offices. The lineups in the merge are insane. Because they're seeking basic care there. We live in a rural area. We don't have a lot of walk-in clinics. There's one in a town that's a half an hour from mine. So the emergency department comes their backup. 
You know what? Uh, that raises something else. I know that a couple of weeks back, the Ontario Medical Association sent something out saying, hey, doctors, it's time to start seeing your patients again. Yeah, they need to. It, it's really putting a strain on the healthcare system. But the, the, the problem here is so multifactorial, and I could speak to your earlier topic this morning about the seniors. The seniors who are struggling are the seniors who the wife probably didn't work. You know, if yeah. they're 80 now, she probably never worked out of the home. She doesn't have CPP. She has old age security. Her husband will have CPP. If her husband has Alzheimer's and has to be placed, she can't place him because then she won't be able to afford to live. So we see them in Emerge all the time as well. It's a rotating door. They insist on taking them home. They know they shouldn't. We know they shouldn't. But they can't afford not to because there's nothing for the spouse of somebody who gets placed. And, you know, and just a minute, if you're still dollars a month, if, if you're still alive, don't you keep yep. collecting your CPP? It goes to the nursing home or the right. long term care facility. All right. of it? it covers the person All who goes to long term care. But their partner yeah. is then left with nothing. Yeah. If it's the wife that's left, she only has old age security, some seven hundred dollars a month. And and I know that there's been long-standing issues with survivor benefits for CPP. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it's a huge, huge problem. And Doris is right. The nurses are tired. They're worn out. We're getting abused. We get screamed at. We get yelled at. We get questioned about why we're doing these things. Um, it, it's a mess. You know, and I have to say, I get a lot of slack from people sometimes on my page about us just asking for more money. Right. And when you get down to it, it's not even just about the money anymore. No, it's not about the money at all. targeting the elderly, the sick, and children. You're taking money away from the population's most vulnerable people. Right. And we've seen it in the past with the pandemic alone. How many many elderly died in those nursing homes? Well, yeah. What is it going to take for him to see that our health care is broken? Yeah. That, the long-term care situation, I've spoken several times on this program about that. That's a problem that should have been fixed years and years and years ago. And, and the, we've been raising the alarms. I've been a nurse for 23 years, yep. and we've been complaining about long-term care uh, homes and the care that the patients receive for years, my entire for as long as you've been a nurse, probably. Yeah. yeah do you, well, do you, you see them coming in in deplorable condition, you do you, and they don't come in to emerge until their family goes to visit them and says, hey, wait a minute. What's yeah. happening here? Do you have any confidence in the new long-term care minister, Jean? No. I, d- I don't know. I would love to sit and have a chat with them because I have worked in long-term care. I watched my parents die in long-term care. I listed my complaints then um, hey, about a long-term unit. The Elizabeth Wetlaufer, and they get nurses like that in there because they can't get nurses. You don't nurses say her name anymore, care, need exactly the same, if not more, than regular nurses because they need a specialized set of skills to okay. take care of those people. And those people made our world. They made our country. They yeah. get relegated to a bed in a room with four other people or three other people and food that's fed to them three times a day, whether they want it or not, and whether they want to eat it then. It's a dreadful thing. Jean, I'm going to say thank you so much. Appreciate well, your call. And uh, Doris, I know you want to jump in there. We don't have too much time left. Oh, uh, I, do, I do want to differentiate between Minister Fullerton and Minister Phillips. There is a massive difference. So, yes, do I have more hope in long-term care? Yes. I think we will start to fix the things in long-term care. Do I have hope on Premier Ford? Well, show me the hope by repealing Bill 124, because as I said to him, that is the key to the door. You, anyone, if you go to social media, leave it. Today we had a nurse in uh, Metro Morning. Yesterday we had in CP24, in CBC, you name it, in your show. Every single nurse is taking this Bill 124, both in the economic terms and as a symbol of not being respected. And I stand with my colleagues on that. Do- Dr. Greenspoon, one thing, just harking back to the beginning of the show, and today is the deadline for workers in long-term care to show that they have a first dose or to go home. Uh, Do you have confidence that that the government's going to follow through on this? I have confidence on on, uh, Minister Wait, who's who's that's the do- person on Rod Phillips? That's the person that at this time I have confidence that he's acting with courage on what's needed, whether it's the four hours of care 
whether it's the many committees to try to fix the mess in long-term care. I think long-term care will end up being one of the few silver linings of this tragedy uh, that happened in long-term care. Um, I don't have confidence that uh, the Premier is acting or letting Christ, uh, Christine Elliott to act, whether it's on Bill 124 or whether it's on vaccination. The numbers are going up and up. You saw the numbers. I will predict to you, Livia, as I have in the past, and rightfully have done it, uh, we will have a 1,000 cases uh, probably by January, and the Premier still is sitting on any decisions. Meanwhile, nurses continue to leave the province uh, because of this bill that is stubborn and doesn't move to repeal. Nancy Halupa, we only have uh, some seconds left. What would you like to leave us with? I, I also want to specify, too, I'm an, emer- I'm an emergency room nurse in a hospital. We need to look at home care as well. Yeah. The, it's, the entire health care system is broken. It's not just breaking. It's already broken. If, nothing, if something does not get done soon, I, I am terrified for my family, for my parents that are in their 80s now, for, my, for myself even. Who's going to take care of me when I'm that age? Who's going to take care? And people can't wait until they're lying in that hospital bed. To think, oh, maybe the, maybe healthcare is broken. You need to think about it before you get there, because once you're there, there's not going to be anybody to help you. Living without nurses, there is no healthcare. We all know it, and the premier needs to know it. Needs to look at the mirror and say, I will leave my stubbornness or ego on the side. We'll park it. That bill is gone. And that sends a message to nurses, please stay here. We're going to fix together the system. Okay. On that note, we will wrap things up. Thank you so much, Dr. Doris Greenspoon and Nancy Halupa. We really appreciate your time. And Nancy, thank you for organizing this because you deserve tons of credit oh. for the courage as a staff nurse to do this. And we are with you on your side and we will keep going. Okay. Thank you so much. Alrighty then, bye-bye, and that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We've got some sobering numbers on food insecurity. The use of food banks in the city hit a record high last year, 1.45 million visits, an increase of nearly 50%, 47% if you want to be exact on that. And for the first time ever, new users outnumbered existing clients, even though they, the new users, were more likely to receive income from employment and pandemic benefits like CERB. So what do you think? And what's going to happen as these things are phased out? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And as we've been discussing in the last little while here, the cost of food is really going up, and um, that is not good news. So now I am joined by Talia Bronstein, the Vice President of Research and Advocacy for the Daily Bread Food Bank, and she's the author of the Who is Hungry report. Hello, Talia. Hi, thanks for having me. So um, was there anything in this that surprised you? There were lots of surprises, in fact. I think, to me, the, the biggest takeaway was uh, the fact that new clients outnumbered existing clients for the first time. And to me, that, that says two things. It says, first of all, that, um, you know, the pandemic has clearly taken a toll on people in terms of unemployment and underemployment. But the fact that we continue to see our existing clientele, um, you know, they, they didn't exactly decline. They, in fact, kept, kept quite uh, stable in terms of existing clients. That tells me that um, those individuals who are on fixed incomes, like pensions or social assistance, they weren't better off during the pandemic. They weren't um, insulated from the effects of the pandemic. Uh, As you mentioned, the cost of living has just escalated so much. Uh, What I found surprising, again, I mean, uh, the federal government, Canada as a country, has been praised for the high level of CERB. And I would have thought that that would have insulated people who were hurt because 
of the pandemic, whether they lost their jobs or, 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 you know, couldn't, you know, whatever it was, I would have thought that that would have uh, insulated them. I think it did. I think that, you know, we, we only survey clients who are coming to the food bank. We, we can't say who's not coming to the food bank, but I would hedge a, a very educated guess that, you know, CERB prevented many, many households from having to come to the food bank. If we didn't have that in place, our numbers would be even higher. But I think the challenge is that in a city like Toronto, where the cost of living is so high, $2,000 a month doesn't get you as far as it might in another jurisdiction, um, especially if you have a larger family. So, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't a perfect uh, a perfect benefit, and it, there's no such thing as, as a perfect benefit, particularly in a crisis environment. So I think the lesson learned there is is not that these income supports don't work or aren't effective. It's just that income is important, but uh, we need that broader social safety net as well. We need affordable housing. We need access to child care. We need all of those supports in place to really address poverty. Well, um, you know, at the end of the day, and, and the bottom line on many of these reports for a number of years is just that rent is so high here. Absolutely. Our clients reported paying 68% of their income towards housing. So that's considered um, deep core need, which means you are at a high risk of becoming homeless. Um, as you can imagine, if, if you any impact to your income and you might be not able to, to pay rent. And so what our clients also reported to us was after paying for their rent and utilities, uh, food bank clients, the median amount left at the end of the day was $9.17 per day for everything else. So that per person, transportation per person. Yeah. Food, transportation, clothing, everything. Um, and that's just not sufficient. Nobody can, can live on that amount. Um, when we factor in, you know, two, two trips on the TTC, there goes most of that, that amount left. Um, so housing is, is the biggest part of someone's budget. And the more unaffordable housing is, the, the greater the strain on the household finances. I was, uh, I'm looking at your number for median income of food bank respondents, and, and it's half of what is considered the poverty line. So the That's poverty correct. line is, is kind of right on CERB, is mm-hmm. 2060 a month. So uh, that meant your respondents, I guess, were not collecting CERB? So some of them would be. So that's a that's the median income. So it would be basically we take all the, the respondents and look at what's, what's the number right in the middle. So some of our clients would have been receiving more than that. Half of them would be. Um, and the other half would be receiving less than that. So, for example, somebody who received social assistance um, who wouldn't have been eligible for CERB if they didn't have employment income, they would be receiving a single individual on Ontario work $733 per month. So significantly lower. Um, if they're an individual uh, receiving Ontario Disability Support Program, uh, they would be receiving about $1,200 per month. So again, these are very much below the poverty line, um, and that's certainly contributing to food bank use. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was from a year ago when we were in, you know, really tight lockdown. Do you anticipate that this, uh, if it's a snapshot, was at, you know, the worst of times? I wish I could have some better news. I mean, this definitely was probably the darkest time in terms of the pandemic. This research covers the time period of April 1st, 2020 to March 31st, 2021, but since then, we haven't seen things improve. We actually saw the highest number of food bank visits, um, a monthly record in June. So I would say this year we're on track to again break uh, a record in terms of food bank visits, unless you know things things change dramatically in the next few months. Uh, but unfortunately, people are very much still struggling, and that's why it's it's so critical that. As we sort of open up the economy, as, as pandemic restrictions lift, it's, it's easy to, to think, you know, things are returning to normal. But it's so critical that we remember that, that, that that's just not the case for everybody. Okay, on that note, we will wrap things up. Thank you so much, Talia Bronstein. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, we're going to take another break. And when we come back, nurses are upset. They're tired of being called heroes. They'd like a raise when we return. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, fight back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday, time for our Zoomer Squad, and we're waiting to see if the government follows through on the vaccine mandate for long-term care workers. Today, as you heard in Jeremy's News, is the deadline for those staffers to show that they've had at least one dose or They have to go home. Now, this is already an extension. Originally, today was supposed to be the deadline to show that you were fully vaccinated. So now they have until December 13th for that. Um, So what do you think of that? And uh, do you trust that the government will, in fact, follow through? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. That and a few other things are at the top of our agenda with the Zoomer squad. So let us go to David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Membership Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, and Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Hey, guys. Hi, Libby. Hi, everyone. So uh, let us begin with Bill. Uh, Today's the deadline. Uh, You know, most long-term care workers are vaccinated, except there's still like a couple thousand, I think, who are not. Yeah, uh, most of them have been. Uh, why, Why wouldn't they have just kept the the deadline, if it's only 5% or less, surely that's not uh, worth the the risk of infecting our loved ones who are in the facilities where they they work. Of course, they should have moved sooner. They should have uh, put this into place months ago, so we'd already be past this point by this time. But uh, the delay doesn't seem reasonable, doesn't seem safe, and it's going to cause a lot of worry among a lot of families. Well, it's interesting. Part of their explanation is that there are certain communities where the take-up is low. And I was surprised when I first heard that the communities with the low take-up are are homes that cater to people who are Polish or Ukrainian. And the explanation that I heard is that uh, these are all people who uh, came from their areas when it was under the Soviet Union, and they regard it as a government-imposed thing, and they don't trust it. Uh, David, what do you think of that? You're talking about the residents? Well, it's the residents and the workers are from the same oh, okay. uh, background. They speak the languages. Well, I, I, I think we have two problems here. As usual, we don't have complete information from the government. We have these big sweeping statistics, 95% are vaccinated, 5% are not. But if I drill down deeper, what has been the infection rate in these homes? Uh, what has been the mortality rate? Is it noticeably higher or lower? Are the workers who are refusing to be vaccinated, agreeing to get tested every day in lieu of the vaccine. Uh, How many people are coming into these homes that are neither vaccinated nor tested? Um, Good luck finding all that out. So you're left with um, the sensibility of the policy of making everybody get vaccinated, which I completely agree with Bill. But the explanation for why they're not doing it, they're not providing enough data uh, to support their their alternative strategy, frankly. Uh, Peter, I mean, what do you make of this? Do you see this as kind of a test? I mean, the Ford government generally is seen by a lot of people as being soft on anti-vaxxers. So do you see this as a kind of test? Well, it, it certainly looks like, uh, you know, they're, they're pushing the ball downfield a bit, you know, uh, moving the date. Um, I, I guess we'll know more on, on December 13th whether they're ready to actually enforce that and send workers home. But, I, I you know, the, these homes are so desperate for workers, I, I find that really hard to believe that they're going to send thousands of people home for the day. They, they just can't. There's no, there's no slack in this system. They, they, there's no workers to fill in. So... Um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting on December 13th whether, you know... Well, those... presumably they're sending people home today if they don't have one shot. 
Right, but but didn't we read somewhere that ninety nine percent had one shot or ninety eight percent? I can't right, remember. Right, but all it's these still the are, the the yeah. gross number, and apparently a lot in certain uh, homes. Uh, you know, I mean, to me, this this is a test, and if they don't do what they say they're right. going to do, why why would anyone comply? Right, and and they really haven't shown signs of it earlier with with refusing to put a mandate in hospitals. So maybe they're just not, <laughs> you know, they're just not going to be tough on the, on the, the remaining few thousand who don't have vaccines. Well, it's interesting because when it came to the hospitals, the hospitals showed leadership. Uh, and when it came to this, Rod Phillips, the minister, the new minister, showed leadership. But uh, you've got to wonder, David, do you see this as a certain kind of litmus test for the Ontario government? Well, they're not they're not treating it that way because they're they're waffling on both the the policy and the explanation for the policy. And and uh, if they had a coherent message here about you know there's only X hundred people that are unvaccinated and they can't come in unless they get tested every forty eight hours, that would be one thing. Then you could say okay they're they're substituting a different way of making sure. Because at the end of the day, all you want is that the person that's in the room taking care of the resident does not have COVID. That's what you want. The absence of COVID is the end result here. So if you know they don't have COVID because they've been tested and they're willing to be tested every 48 hours, then that would seem to be an arguable, I'm not saying it, but arguable substitute for um, getting them vaccinated because if they failed the test, they wouldn't be allowed in. But we don't even hear those numbers. So that's what I keep coming back to. Is I don't, I don't hear a, an end-to-end explanation. It's pretty, it's pretty cumbersome doing that. And uh, we've heard stories about workers getting lots of time off to to get tested, and uh, you know the tests aren't perfect if they're rapid tests. So, and and in the hospitals that have imposed their own mandate, they're not going with that, Peter. Yeah. Uh, and and so like they, there's a there's a disconnect here, and um, you know I I think we'll have to wait till till the new deadline to see if there is a new deadline after that. Once we see that, then then we'll know whether uh, you know the government is serious about this or not. Okay, moving right along. And meanwhile, you know, there's this Angus Reid poll showing that 70% of Canadians are in favor of, yeah, if you don't want to get your jab and you are in a key profession like long-term care, um, hospitals, teaching, then, uh, then it's reasonable for people to lose their jobs. Uh, so does that surprise you, Bill? No, not, not surprising at all. We've seen uh, these kinds of results throughout uh, COVID. The majority of uh, people want to have as much protection as we possibly can, and they keep saying that in poll after uh, poll. And uh, in, in Ontario, that's very, very strong. You would think that the government would be looking at that and seeing that the majority of people want that kind of uh, care and attention to their loved ones in uh, in long-term care, so uh, not not surprising, and uh, and hopefully uh, governments will pay some attention to it. Okay, let us take a call from Morris in Etobicoke. Hi, Morris. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. You're on the air, Morris. Well, look, uh, my point is that um, Mr. Doug Ford is a paper tiger. Uh, he's pandering to the extreme right, anti-vaxxers, the religious, etc., etc. And he just doesn't get the point that I don't want to go to an LTC or an aircraft or anywhere else where the person next to me is not vaccinated. Full stop. Well, you did mention religions. Uh, just all, all the major religions are in favor of vaccination, so... Uh, I don't know of a religion. Well, maybe a Christian Science or something. But um, all the major well, look, religions just want to clarify that they are in favor of vaccination. Yes, but if you go down to uh, Norfolk County around Simcoe and further west to uh, Windsor, you'll feel you'll see all sorts of people who don't want to be vaccinated. Yep. Yep. 
Um, okay, Morris, thank you for your call. Yeah, good luck. Thanks. Uh, let's go to Helen in Toronto. Hello, Helen. Hi, Libby. Um, the problem is that there aren't going to be enough people to service those in senior homes. Why didn't Ontario give some type of incentive? Quebec paid for, if I'm not mistaken, people to become PSWs. The big problem is we're not going to have people to fill the gap, and that should have been thought of ages ago. Yeah, but you know what? They worrying they... about the fact that surgeries are cancelled, people haven't got time to uh, visit with residents. Um, I think they need to really move forward in looking at why they, you know, what they can do so that people can be put on leave if they haven't been vaccinated. Well, um, they say they are, albeit extremely slowly, on uh, better working conditions and training. But also we saw in Quebec, where they at first took a very tough stand, they totally backed off. I mean, I'm, and I'm, you know, like sort of uh, flabbergasted that people in healthcare, you know, don't want to be vaccinated. It seems um, it seems very weird. Yeah, counterintuitive. I yep. mean, you're there to help the people. And you're liable to bring the vaccine, and I'm sorry, the illness in with you to work. Well, that's what, and that's what they did in the first couple of waves. Helen, thanks for your call. So um, back to this. Um, anything else, David, that you want to say about it? No, I think I'm with Peter. Uh, I think I'm with Bill on it's essential they do it. I have no idea why they would hedge. But I also think that Peter maybe has the best insight into that. They're looking at the actual numbers of people that are going to disappear from the system, and they're making the calculation that it's better to have those people uh, continue to uh, work uh, in these homes than to have no no staff or, or lower levels of staff than what they need. Okay, let's uh, get to our next topic. So, and and I have to admit, I'm I may be a devil's advocate here, and so a lot of seniors, apparently ninety thousand, are worried because they collected CERB and they just found out that the government will be cutting their guaranteed income supplements because of this. Now. Um, I get certainly that it's hard to get by. The price of everything is up. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking from the beginning, they said CERB will be taxable and guaranteed income supplements. Uh, they're not universal. They're for people who need it. And they are always clawed back when you make money. So uh, am I missing something, Bill? I think what you're missing is that they they weren't clear on the explanation and Remember, the people we're talking about here, the lower income uh, people, are the ones who often don't get the kind of information that they need from government when they roll something uh, uh, like this out. It was rushed. It wasn't clear. Uh, Many people that I've talked to, and and Carp has had a lot of calls from people who are in this place, just honestly didn't realize that they would have this kind of... uh, uh, re- reduction in their their GIF, and and they needed the money right away. They spent it, and now they're they're finding that uh, their GIF is being uh, being cut. It comes back once again to the the problem we always have when it comes to explaining these kind of of moves, especially around taxation to low income seniors, and that is they don't understand, they don't get the the message what they know is that they've got money in their pocket it gets spent and uh, then yes they should have known uh, what was uh, what was going to happen but it wasn't clear to them and they're genuinely upset mm-hmm. David Bill and I, I have to tell you that I've read at least three columns explaining this what the clawback is why it's being um, cut back how what the threshold is and each of those three columns, they remain, you know, financial post type, you know, business papers. Each each of those three columns I had to read twice till I really, and I still don't know if I completely understand all the categorizations and the rationales. So it's complex, and they did rush it, and they didn't explain it. And uh, they don't usually explain these things very well. Um, 
And, you know, they're left with this mess, and it, it imposes a tremendous burden on the people least able to shoulder that burden. Peter? Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, to Bill's and to David's point, I, you know, it, it, this sort of, uh, you know, illustrates how um, low the threshold is. Like, you know, for, for single people, um, their income has to be below 19000 for them to earn GIS, and if it goes above a certain level then they lose 50 cents on the dollar, as far as I can see. So um, it, it just, the, these levels are so low, um, it, you know, the, the government's got to look at, at raising the threshold. So people can add a little bit more income to their, you know, to, to their, their monthly income without the fear of uh, having to pay it back in taxes. And uh, I, I think this, this really illustrates, you know, these people aren't getting wealthy off CERB. And, um, you know, something has to be done with these thresholds because they're super low and, uh, and, and people are, are having to pay back money that, you know, they need to live on. Bill, from the people that contacted you, uh, what did they, did they talk about what they did with the money? Was it buying food? We know there's been a lot of food inflation. Well, well what, yes, uh, they did. Uh, food, uh, transportation. Uh, services that used to be provided by friends and family who weren't able to become uh, come to their uh, homes because of the uh, because of the, the shutdown, uh, they all seem to have spent it on on the, the very important items. And and as Peter pointed out, uh, uh, these are already very low income people. So having this kind of extra extra money, did did the government really think they were going to? put it in the bank or hide it under the, the mattress and not uh, spend it uh, right away. There's always been some indication uh, when uh, when you try to pin down either the Minister of Seniors or any of the the uh, CRA people, well, they, they, they say we're, we're going to look at individual circumstances, uh, uh, maybe we'll be able to help them out, maybe we'll be able uh, to defer. Uh, but that has not uh, uh, been been clear to people and created a real worry among them that uh, uh, this is this is money that they just don't have. Uh, any sense of uh, you know what the remedy for this is going to be? I mean, will they get longer to pay it back, or will it be forgiven? Any talk of that, um, Peter? Yeah, there there has been oh. some some. Uh, uh, hints of that, but but nothing uh, nothing definite that says that they're uh, going to do that. Of course, the ultimate solution is exactly what what Peter uh, said, and that's to raise the uh, raise the threshold. So we're 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 uh, not dealing with people who are caught be uh, caught in between and are able to have enough money that they're able to uh, live in. That's the long term uh, solution. The short term is to say uh, that if you are on uh, uh, GIS and uh, that's all the money that you're getting now, uh, then this is, uh, this is forgivable. Uh, it's, you know, you mentioned raising the threshold, as did Peter. Uh, David, I did not get even the slightest hint that that's any kind of priority, certainly from, uh, you know, I didn't get that. Well, why would we expect a big change in direction? Now they proved, I mean, to a, to a certain extent, all three parties proved, the, the governing party for sure, that uh, seniors are a marginal of marginal importance. They proved that during the election campaign. So we're very concerned from that angle that this is going to be, they've, they've been able to uh, ignore this, the needs of this market, uh, this voter block, if you will, uh, lip service only, and uh, it, they didn't cost them at the polls. So until it starts costing them at the polls, uh, I don't see any big, uh, uh, you know, change in direction. I think they're just going to they'll finesse it. They'll try to maybe take take some extreme extreme hardship cases so they don't have any nasty human interest type headlines. Maybe, maybe. But I don't see any appetite for a policy change, certainly not in the Treasury yeah. uh, as it stands now. And and we're, you know, we are way in debt. And, uh, yeah, I just don't know if, uh, and we've had the election. Am I being cynical, Bill? 
No, you're not. No. I, no. Well, <laughs> if, I mean, you're being you're being truthful. You've you've hit it. You've hit it right uh, right on the head, and that's one of the one of the areas that CARP is going to be focusing on for the uh, uh, for the next years until the next federal election, with all the upcoming uh, uh, pr- provincial elections, and that is to uh, try to to uh, motivate uh, our our uh, members even more to react against uh, uh, governments who are simply ignoring them and their uh, their concerns and we have a hint from the outcome of the uh, of the last federal election and the results that we have that uh, older Canadians are getting angry they're getting uh, getting upset and uh, as as they're going to shout out the window as uh, as Moses Neimer has asked us to do uh, we're not going to take it anymore okay let's uh, let's hear from Henry in Toronto hello Henry Yes, uh, good afternoon, Libby. Uh, yes, I was uh, listening to your comments about the government, what they might do with these CERB payments. Uh, I'm not related to the CERB payment, but uh, according to them, when I spoke to them, I was so I shouldn't have been paid my Ontario sales tax, as that is part of its trillion payment monthly. So they're deducting uh, payments from uh, my trillion payment to uh, pay for that money that they shouldn't have sent me, which was their fault they sent me. But in her conversation, she said, you'll still be paid your full premium, which happens to be $105 a month. And now they're paying me $79. You will be paid your full premium. And come March, the government will either tack it on and figure out how to get it back, or they're considering waiving it, all the uh, debts that are owed. Henry, you know, I'm going to stop you, because uh, further to what the guys have been saying, that it's complicated, I can't really follow all of that. Um, uh, you know, um, I guess I'm not sufficiently familiar with the rules for the trillion payments, but I think that really illustrates what they've been saying, that that a lot of the rules are, are too complicated for people right. to follow. Well, I so, think my main point, Libby, is what I, I guess, try to intend and for these seniors who might be worried that she did tell me the government, it come March, that they are going to, Perhaps, in other words, she was telling me not to pay what I owe. Okay. Well, um, good luck with that, Henry. Thanks for your call. Uh, that's yeah, brilliant. I, that's Ontario. That's not. Yeah. It's Ontario, but uh, does I mean I'm sure it counts, right? Well, no, it helps, but it's not the feds, which is no, no, true. no. But I mean, it counts towards whatever thresholds I they guess have. It does, yeah. It's yeah. income. Yeah, Um, yeah. but but it does illustrate once again the mixed message that uh, people are getting because when they ask their uh, their uh, local MP or get in touch with the uh, federal seniors department, they're being told, "Well, we might do this or we might do that. Uh, We, you know, we may forgive it. We may look at at special circumstances, uh, but nothing nearly as definitive." as when they just uh, cut them off without any discussion at all. Uh, and, yeah, the uh, the other thing to note is that generally seniors, older people are, uh, you know, a lot more worried about owing money. Than Absolutely. The number, when we did our survey last year of uh, 6,000 uh, older Canadians across the country, their number one worry was whether or not they'd outlive their money. Right. Let's hear from Jennifer in Hamilton. Hi, Jennifer. Jennifer, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, just to say that, um, oh, I'm just a little annoyed because I think about the $500 that the government so freely handed out to all seniors, all seniors over the age of 75, probably tons of them who did not need that money. Perhaps they need to look at that again to recoup some of their losses. That's it. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks. Bye. Uh, bye-bye. It's. I mean, it's. 
It's true. Um, there are, uh, you know, a lot of people who are well off don't need the money. And I don't think that that particular payment was taxable, if memory serves, which it might not. No, it wasn't taxable. And, and Jennifer's absolutely right. Like, they're, they're um, going after, you know, the poor seniors um, over a, a combined total of something like uh, $485 million dollars. I think, um, you know, I, I don't think the government should make this their priority. I, I think they have other expenditures they could probably cut and not um, come down so hard on this group. And, uh, you, you know, um, you know, um, one of the callers said the Ontario government was considering waiving um, overpayments, so perhaps the federal government will follow their cue. But Jennifer's point is correct, though, and it illustrates what we were saying a moment ago. I have a quick and dirty optics move in the height of an election. Oops, we didn't check the seniors' box yet. Okay, throw this out there. Uh, very quick, very facile, very opportunistic. Good, checked it off, move on. And then the people that really need the help, when you dig into the details, um, they didn't think of that either. They or they just openly knew that that was going to happen and didn't care. So I think that's the kind of sort of shallow uh, opportunistic stuff that it's up to seniors. It's up to us to make uh, governments generally. I'm not talking about liberals or conservatives. Governments generically have to start paying a price for this kind of um, uh, policy. Uh, Bill, last 20 seconds to you. Obviously, uh, none of the levels of government, especially the federal government, are listening uh, to seniors these days. Everybody listening to us today should call their local uh, uh, member of parliament and tell them how upset they are. Let's get this message to them that we're not going to put up with this kind of treatment anymore. Okay, Uh, that'll wrap things up for the Zoomer Squad and uh, very interesting conversation. And we've really got to stay on top of that. And and thank you for setting me straight on that. Uh, Thanks so much, Bill Van Gorder, Peter Mugridge and David Kravitz. Thank you, Libby. Bye, everyone. Bye bye. Um, We're taking a break, and when we come back, speaking of people who have a hard time making ends meet, food bank use in Toronto is at a record high, and um, many more new food bank users than existing clients, all of which are very worrisome trends and show a big increase in food security. We will have that when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.